Schuler, so it's great to see you all. Uh, my name is Keith Kovacs, and I am the scripture reader today. Uh, today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, beginning at verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord of Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has confronted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. The word of the Lord. And today's New Testament reading is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he made purification for sins, when he had made purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of the Lord. And our scripture, our gospel reading today is from the Good News according to John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was light, and the light was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, who gave power to become children of God, who was born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of Christ. Grace to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I think next Christmas Day we should probably get some lutes and some reeds. 
and uh, so we can play on them like the song says. I feel like the song's disappointed in us when we don't. Let us pray. Gracious God, you come to us in the flesh. Christ, that we pray that you come to us in spirit and in truth. We pray that Christ may be present and walk among his people and speak his word that brings life. His name we pray. Amen. So, I guess you all have like the, you know, the we had like the Christmas Eve service and we had the kind of like the very uh, conventional Christmas story and this one's like this is for the hardcore people that show up on Christmas Day uh, it's going to be on Hebrews so you know, I know everybody who's excited who came and came I hope he preaches on Hebrews this morning you're talking over your coffee they're not going to have coffee but if he preaches on Hebrews I'll forget it I'll be fine <laughs> Hebrews yeah. <laughs> That's grounds for dismissal. Oh. I said that this would be casual. I didn't know how casual. Dad jokes from the pews. Um, so our New Testament reading is, as I said, from the letter to the Hebrews, not the most well-known book of the Bible. And we're not entirely sure who wrote this letter or when exactly or where from, but we do know that it's written to a group of Jewish Christians, hence the Hebrews. Now, it's not quite a letter so much as a sermon, a long sermon. It's a long, somebody said, oh no, uh, no. It's a long sermon and its subject is encouragement. It's all about reassurance and why do the Hebrews need to be reassured? Because the Hebrews are feeling discouraged. They're tired. These people have been Christians for quite a while, but find their faith commitment waning over time. The most likely candidate for why this waning is happening is uh, due to some kind of persecution. The preacher uses words like sluggish to describe them and says they're in danger of drifting and falling away from the faith. They might have even been might have even given up on attending the Christian assembly altogether, and moreover, they've ceased to grow in their understanding of Christian teachings. For whatever reason, the Hebrews are, in the words of Paul Simon, slipped sliding away. And this sermon was written in response. They're weary in faith and need some kind of inspiration. Now, while it's true that secular culture in Canada can be neutral, sometimes hostile to Christianity, it would be hard to see ourselves in a place of persecution like the Hebrews, but we do share with them the fact that uh, we live in a culture that was at least nominally Christian, but is drifting away. While well, a more majority of Canadians still identify as some kind of Christian, the number that actually attend some kind of religious service is less than 10% where we live. I had coffee with a well-known politician a few years ago and was telling him all about St. George's. And he was like, oh, St. George's United Church, uh, 
which religion is that? I mean, we're at the point where even smart, educated people don't know that church generally, not always, but generally means Christian. And I should have said, you know, it's Muslim or Norse mythology. And uh, just to see where things went, but I was in a particularly cruel mood at the time, so I didn't do that. And of course, there are a lot of explanations for why this is. Modern science causing doubt in the supernatural, the rise of mass media, sexual revolution, fear of babies, religious pluralism, uh, complicity of Christian churches in various atrocities and oppressions, racism, sexism, homophobia, the end of the Cold War, Christians just not being nice to other people, endless other forms of entertainment and spirituality at our fingertips, from yoga to YouTube. And of course, COVID sped things up, certainly, with churches, churches not seeing much of a, much over a 60% attendance return. Um, and there are folks in this church, lifelong churchgoers, who haven't returned to church. So there's truth in just about any explanation that you could drag up. But I don't think it's just one thing. Whatever the reasons are, folks are weary of Christianity and weary of the church in general and are, like the Hebrews, drifting away. Now I'll admit that all this weariness can kind of make pastors weary too. There are times when we like to gripe and complain to each other, don't we, Jen? Yeah, no. There are times we like to lament this drastic shift in our culture. A friend of mine once remarked that there's something demoralizing about preaching to half-empty pews, even if the other, even if the other half is actually there, but on the other side of a camera. And a friend of mine in a Facebook group responded to a question that said, "How can we get people come back to come back to church?" And this friend replied jokingly, "Have you tried pleading with people? Have you tried pleading? How about threats? Have you tried threats?" And of course. No. Now the preacher to the Hebrews does engage in some amount of warning about backsliding. This much is true. But whoever this preacher is, he or she is clearly not a modern minister in a liberal Christian denomination because there's very much there's very little time devoted to griping or complaining or wishing for the old days. There's no special Pleading, and there's little by way of threats. Little by way of threats. No, the preacher of Hebrews begins his sermon with a short summary of the whole Christian story in a handful of lines. He begins the sermon with a short summary of the whole Christian story in a handful of lines. God's spoken throughout the ages to our ancestors, he says. But in these last days, he's spoken by a son. A son who is perfectly God's image, the exact imprint through which he created the worlds. After he completely wiped the slate of sin clean on the cross for good, he was delivered from dead in victory and sat down in the heavenly throne where he reigns forever. I see higher than the angels. So this preacher begins by going back to the basics of things. It's the story of the Bible all there in miniature, from beginning 
until end. You see, this preacher has such confidence in the beauty, truth, and goodness of the gospel that it is his or her strategy to combat the weariness of believers is to simply rehearse the story all over again. He doesn't beat them over the head, doesn't plead or beg or complain. He gives he helps them to remember just how incredible and life-giving this good news is, that the world is better and that life is a much more hopeful place on account of a baby born in Bethlehem. And really, taking from our friend's lead, all I'm going to do for you this morning is the same. I'm just going to rehearse that story as told by Hebrews. As Keith Kovacs often reminds me, good news never gets old. Good news never gets old. Number one. Number one. Christmas means that there is, in fact, a God. Of course, the ancients just assumed, and most people alive in the world today assume that there is a source, there is at least something divine, rather than nothing. We are strange in that we don't. But if the story is true, it means that we're not alone in the universe. There is something more, there is something greater that brought everything into being, who, in the words of our preacher, created the worlds, without whom you wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be you. All those intuitions we have deep in our hearts, they're actually true. Christmas means that life has meaning and that your life has a purpose. And perhaps just as importantly, your neighbor's life has meaning and has a purpose. Two, Christmas means that there is a God. Now, Christmas means that there is a God, but the second point here is that it's not just any God. No vague, sentimental mystery, no impersonal force. I mean, I love Star Wars too, but it's not an impersonal force. Nor is God a brutal tyrant, making a list, checking it twice, waiting for you to slip up. But as our preacher tells us, we have a God who has finally and decisively spoken to us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the exact imprint, the perfect reflection of the creator of the universe. I love how the preacher Brian Zahn puts it. He puts it like this. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. So not only is there a God, this God is love. This God is loving like Jesus. God is healing like Jesus. God is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love like Jesus, and infinitely forgiving like Jesus. Look into the eyes of Jesus, and it is God looking back at you. God is like Jesus. Christmas means that not only is there a God who created you, there is a God who created you out of love to be loved forever. A God who loves you in spite of all you do wrong. A God who, rather than punishing you eternally for everything you've done wrong, everything you screwed up, or every way you've fallen short, this is a God who would rather take on a cross, who would rather suffer and die in the flesh to set all things right. If the story is true, 
And God is like Jesus and always been like Jesus. God with you and for you. God is like Jesus. Number three, Christmas tells us that there is a God. That's number one. Number two, God is like Jesus. God is Jesus. And here's the final point. This God is going to get what he wants in the end. That is the third point. This God is going to get what he wants in the end. This is what all this language of being seated at God's right hand, taking the heavenly throne, is all about. First, Jesus was raised from the dead, proving his identity as the Messiah, then in the words of the Apostles' Creed, was seated at the right hand of the Father. It means that in the end, God wins. In the end, God wins. Nothing anyone can do can stop it. Not you, not me, not the devil himself. It means that the work begun in Jesus will someday be completed. All things made new, everything set right, every wrong righted, every tear wiped away. No need for the light of the sun because God will dwell with us and be our light forever. Never ending joy. Christmas means that no matter how much the world changes for the worse, no matter how disheartened we may get, no matter how cynical or angry or doubtful we may be, no matter how weary we may be, the good news is that God won't get weary. God will never grow weary. Though heaven and earth may pass away, God's word in Jesus is a promise that stands forever. If the story is true, then in the end, God's going to get what God wants. You, me, heaven, earth, together, forever. In the end is music, sweet music, hark the herald angel sings. I repeat, forever. This is what Christmas means. God will get what God wants. This is what Christmas means according to the letter of the Hebrews. It means that there is a God, a God who comes in Jesus, who loves you eternally in Christ, a God who will stop at nothing until every inch of reality, include the darkest places in our souls and our world, surges with love like a hundred watt ball. It means we need not grow weary about anything. Not the church, nor the state of our lives, nor the state of the world, but we have every reason to do good and no excuse to give up hope. We have no excuse to give up hope if the story is true. Which, I firmly believe that it is. And if the story is true, it's not just good news, but the best news ever. News that not only never gets old, but news that will never fail, falter, or fade away. As our opening hymn says, one day our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child who seems so helpless is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. God is like Jesus.
and God will get what God wants. Merry Christmas and Amen.